Uh, so today, we're going to finish out this series, Faith to Move the Rockies, and the title of this message is A Sight to Behold. Uh, a Sight to Behold. And I'm, I'm going to go back. God has kept me in my um, in, a, in, a, in a lot of this, a lot of this, or the last eight weeks, uh, God has kept me in the book of Joshua is probably a better way to say that. And I, I want to talk to you just about some principles out, out of the book of Joshua uh, before we take communion or we take the Lord's Supper together in just a, a few moments as, as a church family. And we just kind of concentrate on, on who God is and what God has done for us. And so, um, so a sight to behold, Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through, through 20, uh, is what we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can turn there. We're just going to work, walk our way through this, these passages almost verse by verse as we, as we look at some principles. And so uh, we live in a world, well, let's go back. In Joshua's day, Joshua was leading the children of Israel into the, the promised land. And so there was barriers between the children of Israel and the promised land. There's a river Jordan. Uh, there were some other things. And then they get into, they cross the J river Jordan. And then there's the Jericho, the city of Jericho, which is a fortified city. Uh, there's a king of Jericho that was just a fierce enemy. He was a, a giant, I guess you would say, in the land. And so Joshua had to take care of the city of Jericho to inherit uh, the promised land that God had already given them. And as a result of that, it took, it took all the people. In other words, it, all the people marched and all the people sang and all the people participated. And, and we live, what, what some people are telling us is we're, they're, they're trying to, to, to put a label on this generation or the time in which we live. And, and they're calling it that we live now in a selfie generation. In other words, it's a time of, of, of great selfishness. And so they're talking about a selfie generation that, that 9,000 pictures a day are taken and they're selfies. In fact, is they tell us now that one in three pics in a day are selfies. I mean, it's an unbelievable thing. And today we live in a world to where you not only take a selfie, but you can filter that selfie, right? I mean, you, you can filter it so that you, you present a you that may not really be you, but it's the you that you want to present on online. On, 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 online. And it may not look anything like you. And so this is for me and coming out of my generation, this is just so weird to me. I mean, in my generation, we would have never turned the camera on ourselves. Amen. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Yeah, we would have never, we would have never turned the camera on ourselves, right? I mean, we would have never even thought about that. Fact is, if we had, we would have been in a lot of trouble because mom and dad would say things like, don't you know how much that cost? Like you're wasting pictures because in our day, there was the cost of the camera, cost of the film, cost of the flash. Remember that? Remember when they came out with the cube flash? That was like awesome. You could take four flash pictures without having to change a bulb out. And so, and then there was the cost of the film. There was the cost of developing. You know what? We, fact is, growing up, picture day, especially in the seventh grade, was the worst day of my life. I mean, remember that? Remember, remember school pictures in the seventh grade? You line up, you take a picture, no proof. I mean, no proof. They're not going to let you look at it, and they're going to post it. And we live, we live in a world, and we live in a world that's become a selfie generation. And I, and I just want you to know how, how proud, I, proud I am of this church because one thing that breaks what Scripture says, it breaks greed and selfishness in our life, is this issue of giving. This issue of understanding that I'm not here just for me, but, but there's, there's a bigger purpose to the reason that I'm here. 
And so I just want to give you just three principles before we take communion together as a church family. Out of Joshua chapter 6, Joshua's leading the children of Israel into the promised land. They've crossed the Jordan River at this time when we pick up the story. And, and then, then they have a, a huge task. They've got to take care of the giants in the land. Remember, I've told you just a biblical principle is the reason that there's, a, there's giants in your promised land. Is to, it's God's insurance policy that only people of faith will inherit the promised land. And God has a promised land for every one of us. And a promised land for us personally is a place of love and joy and peace and, and confidence and all of those other things. And what statistics tells us is very few Christians ever enter into their personal promised land. And so there's a promised land corporately and there's a promised land privately. And so the, just the first principle, and we're going to read some scripture, but the first principle is this. I just want to start off with a principle. And the principle is this. Following God's plan for your life and following God's plan for my life takes faith. Following God's plan for your life and following God's plan for my life and following God's plan corporately, I'm just telling you, takes, it just takes faith. Joshua chapter 6 verse 1 here's what the scripture writes he says now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel so as a result of this the circumstances just got even more difficult for the children of Israel we're going to understand how fortified the city of Jericho was but all of a sudden it becomes even more difficult because two million people that's how many children of uh, people were there of the children of Israel and all of a sudden Jericho shuts up the doors and shuts up the gates and so nobody went in and nobody went out um, so he goes on none went out and none came in verse 2 and the Lord said to Joshua so God has given Joshua some direction and I'm telling you following God takes faith and it doesn't always make sense fact is very seldom it makes sense and he goes on and God says see I've given Jericho into your hand and its kings and mighty men of valor and so now Joshua's probably expecting God to say no get, no now get the generals take up arms take up swords and fight but here's what he tells him he said you shall march around the city and all the men of war going around the city once thus you do for six days seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn this ram's horn is very important to the story we're going to understand what that means but it's very critical to understand the story and ram's horn before the ark on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn there you go you see that word again so it has to be important remember I've taught you that when something is is repeated several times in scripture it's there for importance it's there to to emphasize something it's there like don't miss this and and so he goes and he says and when they make a loud blast with the ram's horn when you hear the sound of the trumpet then all the people shall shout with a great shout now then we're, we're getting a hint that's worship language that's worship language in the Old Testament so all of a sudden he starts talking about this worship stuff and he says with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up and everyone straight before him now listen this had to have caught Joshua off guard I mean Joshua would have thought he would have said something like take up arms and get your generals and give orders and this is how you're gonna take the city this is how you're gonna win the city this is you're, you're gonna win the city by victory you're gonna win the city by force but God says something totally opposite listen let me tell you something following God's plan takes faith and sometimes God's plan for your life makes no earthly sense Joshua I mean because of the circumstances because of the situation Joshua may have thought this was impossible because the city had been shut up inside and out because of the number of people that made up the children of Israel verse 1 again Jericho was shut up inside and out because of the people of Israel none went out and none came in and so Joshua 
until Joshua showed up, nobody believed that Jericho could be defeated. Nobody believed that Jericho could be brought down because uh, Jericho, if you remember, has two walls, an inner, an outer wall and an inner wall. Each wall is 40 feet in height, and it wasn't a straight wall. It was a slanted wall. It was angled like this so that no one could approach the city without being seen from the men at the top. And so the city was seen as, as, as this place that could not be defeated. And then you take the king of Jericho and Jericho's people, and you realize that they were fierce and they were ruthless and they were mean and they were experienced. And the children of Israel, very unexperienced at fighting, right? I mean, for the last 40 years, all they had done is like wander in the desert. They were not like a fighting machine. But here, here's what you need to know about Joshua. Joshua did not bring the city walls down. God did. A lot of times in church and a lot of times in Christian circles, we give the credit to Joshua. But here's what you've got to know. Joshua did not bring the walls down. God did. There's never a scripture, there's never a word that Joshua swung a hammer, that Joshua removed a brick. There's not even words that even the children of Israel even touched the wall in the things that we need to understand. That Joshua was obedient. And Joshua walked by faith. And Joshua trusted God. But God is the one that brought the walls down. I mean, listen, let me tell you something. For them, for the children of Israel, their Jericho are, 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 the, are the, the boundaries between them and the promised land, or the ability to inherit the promised land, was the walls of Jericho. And the walls of Jericho had to come down for them to in, inherit their promised land. And listen, your Jericho, your, your, Jer- your personal Jericho, the walls of your personal Jericho may need to be brought down to move forward in faith and to come into the promised land, into a place of love and joy and peace to where your love is growing for God and your love is growing for your neighbors and you operate life differently. Listen, your Jericho, your Jericho personally may be anger or or unforgiveness, or fear, or, or how you handle the truth, or gossip, or criticizing, or insecurity, or, or an addiction of some sort, or maybe it's compartmentalization of the Christian life to where you say, like, this is my material life, and this is my spiritual life. And the children of Israel is just, when you look at this, the children of Israel spent 40 years in the desert. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. And God was preparing them for this. Not in a way that you and I would think God would prepare them. He was preparing them in such a way, not helping them become a fighting machine and become better at fighting. God was preparing them in such a way God was teaching them that you can trust me, that I'm your provider, and that you can trust me. And as a result of that, God split the Red Sea, opened up the Jordan water, uh, the river, led them by day and led them by night fed them with manna, stuff they had never heard of. In other words, God was teaching them that, you know what? The how is up to me. If you'll you'll just trust me, I'll do some things in your life that you never expected. Uh, Max Lucado here a while back uh, um, uh, hired a a service to to do some surveys for him. And so out of the surveys, Max Lucado came up with a, with a statistic, and, and, and he said this just from surveys of, of mature Christians, of Bible-believing Christians, and the survey is this, or the answer is this, and Max Lucado found that 89% of Christians will describe their life, their Christian life, more in the wilderness than life in the promised land. In other words, what Max, Max Lucado found is very few Christians 
Very few Christians ever inherit their promised land. That instead of growing in their love for God and growing in their love for their neighbor and becoming more generous, they feel like their Christian life was more wandering, discouraged, wandering aimlessly around in the promised land or in the, in the desert. Verse 2 in Joshua 6, the Scripture says, And so the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. This is following God in your life, personally and corporately. Following God in your life takes faith. And God is telling Joshua, Joshua, I have given. I've given you your promised land. I've given you the land. And so you just have to inherit it. You just have to take possession of it. God is telling Joshua, Joshua, I've taken possession of the land. And now you have to take possession of the land. And I've told you just principles out of Joshua. Joshua was not fighting from a, uh, for, Joshua was not fighting for victory. Joshua was fighting from a position of victory. Joshua knew who he was in God. Joshua knew that God would make a way somehow, and he may not understand that, but God would make a way. You know, I, I don't know about you, but when I, when I read just the, when I read through the book of Joshua, I, I just, I just want to be a promised land Christian. And I want to lead a church of promised land people that understand that what the promised land is. Because, see, see, here's the deal. Promised land people, promised land people do not live or do not operate out of their circumstances. In other words, promised land people, just like the children of Israel, they don't let their circumstances control them. You don't let promised land people do not let their circumstances control you. Uh, promised land people do not let the circumstances in their life hold them down. They understand their circumstances and they will change. See, when you look at Joshua and he was going up against the king of Jericho, there's no reason that he should have expected to be able to win that battle. They were not exactly a fighting machine. But Joshua simply trusted God. Promised land people understand that it just takes faith to, to follow God. Promised land people understand that, guess what? My circumstances are circumstances, and these circumstances are going to change. But, it, it, but as a Christian, we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You know what? I would have just been happy with a partner. If he says we're co-heirs, we have the same inheritance as Christ. And we are co-heirs with Christ. In other words, Christ lives in us. And His power lives us. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead resides in us. But why is it that very few Christians live like that? Why is it that the minority of Christians don't live like that? They don't live like they really have any power in their life. They don't act like they really have any power over circumstances. But see, but see I'm telling you, Promised land people understand that their circumstances do not control them. That you are not a product. Listen, you are not a product of your circumstances. Man, your problems are going to change. I had a pastor in the early 90s that helped me with this. I was, I was, I was in the wilderness, so to speak, and 
and uh, and I'm talking with with a pastor at our church, and this was in the 90s. And I'm talking with a pastor in our church, and he says, he says, Charlie, here's what I want you to do. And so he he, he hands me an envelope, and he says, I want you to self-address this envelope right now. And so I self, you know, addressed it to myself, and that seemed kind of weird. And then he handed me a piece of paper. He says, Now on this piece of paper, I want you to write right now your. Th- top three problems the top three problems that are holding you down that are that are that are that are, that are like like overbearing to you that are, are 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 all about your prayer life all of those other things i want you to write your top three problems down i want you to write them down on a piece of paper i want you to fold them up i want you to stick but just put the list in the and so i did this it says before we take of the bread and before we take of the juice that we should examine our lives and so i'm just going to invite you that you would examine. Guys, if you're ready, you can make your way down. Uh, And I would invite you that you would examine your life and just ask you, maybe ask you a couple of questions. God at the center of every area of your life is God at the center of every aspect of your life. So as the bread and the juice are being passed, would you just sit before the Lord and examine your life? And then in just a few minutes, I'll guide us and we'll take of the bread and we'll take of the juice together as a church family. Scripture says this before we take of the bread. Paul is writing, and Paul says these words. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, 
which is for you. Unbelievable sacrifice. He bought you. And like I say, I don't know what he saw in you and I don't know what he saw in me. But his love for us is unconditional. Scripture says this, while we were still sinners, God died for us. He didn't wait for us to straighten up. He didn't wait for us to get it right because he knew we couldn't without him. That he gave his life for us. And then he goes on and he makes a statement. He says, and so do this. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, he calls the local church where the local church has been doing this for thousands of years. It's just gathering around together and just remembering what Christ has done for them. And on this day, we just remember that he went to the cross for us. In fact, as the Bible says, he went willingly. No one took his life from him. He gave his life up willingly for us so that through his sacrifice, the one who lived a perfect life without any sin in his life would give his life for us, be buried and raised on the third day so that we could have a relationship being right standing with a holy and a righteous God. So we remember. We also remember the day that we met him and what our life was like before him, what our life has been like after him. Let me pray before we take of the bread. Father, we thank you for your love and we just thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for the power of your name. And Father, we just thank you for your great love for us. And Father, we love you. And we tell you, thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take with me, please? The scripture goes on and says, in the same way also, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death and until he comes. And so communion is not only a backward look, but it's a forward look. It's a, it's a forward look to when we're going to be in heaven one day, all assembled together. And Jesus is going to be the one that administers this time, that leads this time, and we will all take together. This is also a time that's part of our testimony, that by his blood, our sins are forgiven. In other words, this, we are deeply loved by him. We are perfect in him. We are totally and completely forgiven. Not some sins, not most of the sins, but all of the sins have been washed away. And that's what we remember this day. Before we take of the juice, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the shedding of your blood, for without it there'd be no forgiveness of sin. And so, Father, we just ask that we would be aware that we have been totally and completely forgiven. And would we live with you at the center of our lives? Would we be promised land people? In the way we handle our life, the way we handle our business, the way we handle our relationships. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.
Would you take with me, please? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me just ask you, what is God saying to you as a result of His Word? Maybe more importantly, what is, what is your next step? Every one of us has a next step. Maybe your next step is a first step to where you come to the place where you just accept Him and ask Him to come into your life. And maybe you've done that. And so what is, what is your next step? Is your next step looking at some ways that you place God at the center of every aspect of your life, every area of your life? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I, I just have a burden. I, I, I have a prayer request. I just, I just need someone to pray for me. But we want to pray for you. We really do. So in just a few minutes after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand together as a church family, if you need prayer in any area of your life, as you stand up, would you step out, begin making your way down to the front? We would very much like to have the opportunity just to encourage you, to pray for you, to support you, whether it's a, a season of your life that you're going through whether you're trying to discern God's will, whether you want to pray for a friend. If you're carrying a burden, we want to pray for you. We have story after story what God has done in the front of this room when people have just responded to Him and prayed. So if you need prayer, after I pray we, and we stand, you come. Father, we thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your grace. Father, we thank You for the power of Your Word. And Father, by the power of Your Word and Your Holy Spirit, would You, would you draw this church very close to You? And, Father, would we respond to you? Father, would people understand that this is a safe place? And, Father, we ask that prayers would be answered, burdens would be lifted, and people would know that they've met with you this day. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.